Yoga anatomy. This is one of the major topics that I wanted to learn the most about in my first teacher training, and I knew that there was a whole lot to learn, and I had a hard time really grasping it. And I had one of the best teachers, and I still consider him a phenomenal teacher about anatomy. He's spent his whole life studying anatomy. He's a physical therapist and a yoga teacher and a massage therapist as well. So I was very fortunate to have an incredible teacher and just about everything he said went over my head in my first teacher training. And there's some things that stuck in there and I remembered and they came back later. I was like, oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. But I it, I had to kind of find my own way of figuring out how to describe anatomy and understand it in a way in relation to yoga that really made sense to me. That wasn't too dry or technical, but also very practical and applicable to every pose. So what I learned is this one specific thing that I'm going to share in this episode, and it's the heart of everything I teach in my yoga anatomy and my teacher training. And I'm sharing this because the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training is open for enrollment right now. The fall 2020 class is starting on September 7th, just over a week and a half after I'm recording this. So if you're interested in checking it out, go to quietmind.yoga YTT or quietmind.yoga, you'll see it right there. And it's an awesome group already. We've got some amazing people from around the United States so far. We have international students in our previous classes, but not this one. So if you're interested and you can join anywhere in the world, any time zone, it will work. If you can't be there live, you can watch everything on recording. It's all in their classroom. And one of the big topics, one of the main foundational pieces of what I teach is anatomy. It's one of the 10 core competencies I teach along with mindfulness and meditation, yoga asana, the apprenticeship that I offer for you throughout the training, uh, the yoga history, the philosophy, the Vedic sciences of Ayurveda and Vedic astrology. It's all weaved into the whole program and everything that I teach in my Quiet Mind Yoga podcast. You can listen to my classes where I infuse these things and everything I teach in the training. So how do you infuse the yoga anatomy into your practice and your training and your own uh, studies of yoga? And if you're in a teacher training, how do you understand it better? Well, this is something that I have not seen in other teacher trainings, and you know maybe it is now, but really it's breaking down the movements of the body into pairs of movements. Now, this might sound really simple, and like, of course, everybody would say that, right? They don't. Right? It's very common in yoga that you might hear, uh, you know, one particular cue like uh, bend your elbow or fold forward into spinal flexion. It's like, uh, you know, I remember being early in my practices and hearing things like this of like spinal flexion. Okay, so that's spinal flexion. Okay, I'm going to try to remember that. All right. And then later I might hear something like uh, move into lateral flexion. It's a side bend. Okay, I think I got that. That, that makes sense. It's to the side bend, that's lateral flexion, but it doesn't really click, right? It doesn't really stay with me. It's like, okay, and, and then there's something like externally rotate your shoulders, right? Does that mean that they're turning out or is the shoulder turning in and the elbow out? What is it? You know, it's just the relation. They're really like, here is what external rotation is. And here's why it's important to know that. Instead of just throwing it out there in the middle of a class of like, all right, externally rotate your shoulders. Well, how do I know if I'm doing that? So these are the kind of questions I had in countless classes that I attended as a student. And in my teacher training, 
I know these things were covered and I know I had an incredible teacher and I've had many incredible teachers, but earlier on it just wasn't clicking. So I had to figure out a way to really make it click and that's the pairs of movements. Now this is very applicable because in the Yoga Sutra, the source text of all this stuff, or one of the main source texts, talks about stira sukha asana, right? So stira sukha asana. There's this effort and ease are balanced in the pose. In every pose, we want to find this balance of yin and yang, essentially. So there's these two possible polarities. And this is a sort of dualistic perspective of the world of yin and yang. And that's how our bodies work, right? So for you to do a bicep curl where you move your hand towards your shoulder, that's elbow flexion, you're shortening your bicep, you have to lengthen the back of the arm. <clears throat> that's a tricep that's extending, right? So when your bicep is in flexion, your tricep is in extension. And this is just one of the many pairs of movements in the body. So when you start to see this, it makes everything really start to click. It's mind-blowing for me to really just get it. It's like, oh, okay. So when we're saying go into spinal flexion, that's the opposite of spinal extension. And it's a very clear description. It's very clear what spinal flexion is and is not when you understand what the opposite is. It's very easy to understand stira when you understand sukha better. So we need to know both. And if we're just throwing out like... Uh, move into hip flexion, uh, and somebody doesn't have any experience or reference of what is flexion, what is it not, what, why is this important, how do I know I'm doing it, it's the opposite of extension. Oh, okay, so hip extension is when I, for example, if you're in locust pose and you lift your legs up, that's hip extension. So your hip flexors, the front of your hip, are lengthening. To do that, you absolutely need to contract your glutes. Now, this is really helpful in understanding, well, what do we need to be doing in a pose? So in locust pose, 100%, you want to contract your glutes. You want them active. You want your hamstrings to activate as well to help with this because the hamstrings and glutes work together really well. So if the hamstring's contracting, then what's lengthening? The front of the leg, the quadriceps. Right, So all this stuff just links together. And if we want to lift our heart, what do we need to do with the back of the body? So the front's lifting and ex extending the spine. And then the back, the shoulder blades need to be retracting and depressing down the back to create that and facilitate that motion. Your spinal erectors need to be contracting. So the front of your body, like your abdominal muscles and pectoral muscles, can lengthen. Right, so that's just one example. And then if you want to move into hip flexion, that's something like Navasana boat pose, where you're shortening the distance between your uh, spine and your thigh bone. So that's where the hip flexors, the, the psoas muscle connects from your spine to your femur. So you're shortening that distance. Now what happens when you're shortening the front? The back is lengthening, right? So there's that pair of opposites. So the front is shortening, the back is lengthening. That means can your glutes be contracting in Navasana? No, they might have, it depends if you're not in that full contraction of the hip flexors, there always could be a little bit, but really it's your, your glutes need to be lengthening for your hip flexors to be contracting. So it's really when you just break down piece by piece like this, what is moving and what's the opposite of it, you know what's not moving, you know what's contracting, you know what's lengthening. 
right? So these are just some of the examples of pairs of movements in the body. There's flexion and extension. You can do elbow flexion, like the bicep curl, and you can do elbow extension, like the if you ever do exercises like tricep extensions, where you straighten your elbow. You can do neck flexion, where you tuck your chin towards your chest. You can do neck extension, where you lift your chin up. You can do spinal flexion, where you round your back, like cat pose. You can do spinal extension, where you extend your spine, like cow pose. You can do hip flexion, like Navasana. You can do hip extension, like uh, Shalabhasana, locust pose. Right? You can do knee flexion, where you knee, you move your heel towards your tail. And you can do knee extension, where you straighten out the leg. Right, so this is just one of the many pairs of movements. Then there's also internal and external rotation. So your arms from the shoulder joint can be internally rotating. That's where your inner elbow crease turns down. So say you're just like sitting right now and you extend your arms straight out in front of you. If you turn your palms down towards the floor and you let your uh, shoulders start to roll inward, this is a cue you'll often hear in classes, roll your shoulders inward or roll your shoulders down your back. That's, it's okay. I mean, roll, like what, how do I roll my shoulder? What's, you know, it's, it's not really clear, but internal and external rotation is crystal clear. You know, you're doing it, you know, you're not by looking at where your elbows turn. Now, this one's a little tricky because your forearms can do a similar kind of motion, which is called supination and pronation. Uh, but it's essentially the same kind of thing, but the action happens in your forearms rather than your shoulder. So you, that's where things can get tricky and technical. And the alignment, you've got to watch the different alignment points throughout the body. This is another really important thing that I teach in my training of what are the exact points to look at that work in every pose. There's nine points that I teach to look at. And the elbows, wrists, and shoulders are three distinct points. So uh, those are all different places where you can have different actions happening. So external rotation, you turn your inner elbow creases up towards the ceiling, right? Again, imagine you're just sitting and you let your arms out, turn your inner elbow creases up towards the ceiling. That's external rotation in the shoulders. Turn your inner elbow creases down, that's internal rotation. Kind of like turning a doorknob is a metaphor people use sometimes. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the visual metaphors, but sometimes people really like those. And if you want to teach that way, you totally can. I like to just be really clear. Okay, we know internal, we know external rotation. The legs can do the same thing. Say you're laying in Shavasana and you let your toes turn out from the center. That's external rotation. You're laying in Shavasana, you turn your toes in towards the center and so they touch. That's internal rotation. Some people have a predisposition towards external or internal rotation depending on how their femur sits in the hip socket. And that makes a huge difference in things like lotus pose where you, you know, you bind your legs like a pretzel uh, or any sort of hip openers, right? That's genetic. There is no amount of yoga that's going to change that. And people try to force it and that's how they injure their knees and injure their hips. So we want to be aware of those natural tendencies of the body. And we all have tendencies towards maybe a little bit of more spinal flexion or spinal extension, the kyphosis or lordosis. And you want to be able to see these things. And you can see them because you know the possible range, right? You know, it can go pretty far forward to this many degrees into flexion or this many degrees into extension. 
each area of the body has a different uh, range of degrees. I'm not going to get into all that now, but it is in my training. And you really can just Google that if you really want to know. Uh, but there's certain range of degrees that are sort of normal, common. Uh, everyone's body is different though. So just because like you don't have as many range of degrees in one direction of movement doesn't mean you can't do yoga or your body's deformed or disfigured or anything like that. But there is a sort of common range that we uh, start with. And then we look at individual bodies to see where they're at and and always give options, right? So everybody can do some amount of internal or external rotation. No matter what the shape is, no matter how challenging the pose is, everybody can do some amount of that action of the body. Just assuming they have, you know, four limbs, general, relatively healthy body, they can do all of the movements that are possible, right? Now, if there are any other limitations or any other issues that are uh, to be addressed, of course, that's a different scenario. But for 99% of the people who come to a yoga class, they can work with these different pairs of movements. So flexion, extension, there's lateral flexion, which I mentioned, that side bends left to right. Again, if you, if you have an injury, like a rib injury, like I've had a student who had a rib injury for a few weeks and she couldn't do many side bends. So can she do like, you know, some extreme side bend like the person next to her? No. Could she do just a small degree of flexion to that side? Of course she could, right? And this is how she could slowly rebuild and repair without just going into disuse of the muscle. And this is, uh, in most cases, with things like most common sort of injuries or sprains in general, very general, uh, you want to keep active to some degree as long as... You know, there's a whole lot of other factors I'm not going to get into now, but generally you do want to stay relatively active. And that's where knowing, okay, it's just this action that I'm taking. I'm not trying to make this shape like a cover of a magazine or this Instagram model. I'm trying to move my body with awareness and mind-muscle connection so I can know how to move my body in all directions. So if there is some sort of imbalance or issue, tension, I know how to work with it. And it's just moving in pairs of movements. There's also rotation, right? Left to right, rotation in the neck, in the spine. Uh, there's a few other movements. I don't want to get into all of them now. There's, there's a whole bunch uh, that we can talk about all this stuff, but that's really the one thing I want to impart today is to, to notice the pairs of movements in the poses. And every pose is just some combination of those pairs of movements. And when you know one part of the pair of movements, you know the opposite part. And you know what you're going for and you know what you're not going for. For example, like in some people, they teach the standing forward fold Uttanasana where you want to keep your spine extended. That's extremely difficult for the majority of people, especially if they have a lot of tension or they're new to yoga and not as flexible. So, you know, I always encourage bend your knees. That takes away a lot of the tension. So knees go into a slight flexion and you allow your spine to go into flexion, right? But some people will teach, you gotta have your fingers touching the floor and you try to go into a sort of spinal extension while being in a hip flexion, right? So did I lose you yet? <laughs> You're in a forward fold, that's hip flexion. But some people will teach that where you want to try to lift your spine and go into spinal extension while being in this deep hip flexion, while being in the knee extension. Very challenging, right? It's very, uh, uncommon for the average person, the average person who's coming to yoga class. 
But for somebody extremely experienced and extremely flexible, maybe with a history of doing a lot of flexibility work, they can do it. So this is really adapting yoga to the individual based on knowing the pairs of movements that are happening and where you can take away some of the tension. For example, in the forward fold, slightly bend the knees. All right, you could take away a little more tension by rounding the back. It's a different pose, it's a different effect, but if you want that effect that of the previous version, you want them to practice strengthening their back, you could do the half forward fold. And there, focus just on the back. And you can bend the knees a little bit, even have your hands on the thighs, right? And that's like, I remember in some of my first classes, it was like, no, 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 don't do that. You can't put your hands on your thighs. Why? Why not? That's always the question to ask with any alignment cues that a teacher gives you. Why not? Why, why, do, why should I do it this way? Why can't I do it this other way? And often it's just because they heard it this way. Somebody else taught them that. They saw it in a manual. It's like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do it. You're just supposed to do it that way. Why? You know, always ask why. And then just look at the body and understand, like, we're just doing pairs of movements. And yoga is just a means to do pairs of movements. And, of course, there's a whole magical thing that happens when we are really mindful and breathing and moving for uh, 30, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. And it creates this incredibly meditative state and makes it much easier to meditate. And that's really why we're doing all this. And we're building all this mind-muscle connection and body awareness and neuromuscular activation. So I can say, bend your elbow and you can feel your biceps contracting. You can feel your triceps extending. You feel your body, all right? You're present, you're engaged, you're fully in your body and embodied then we can go through the body into the deeper layers of the koshas, beyond the physical into the subtle of the, the breath and the thoughts and the feelings and all the way down into the anandamaya kosha, just sort of being present, the sort of bliss body where the body almost becomes light and dissolves, right? Maybe you've experienced that in deep meditation where your body becomes very, very light and clear and there's, the tension just dissolves and you're present. So that's why we do this. We go through the physical layer first. That's why in the kosha model, which I also teach in my training, it's a whole other topic, but the physical layer is first. We got to get through there. We got to engage with that. We can't just transcend it and skip ahead to being in bliss all the time because that is bypassing the human body. It's bypassing the human experience. That's where we feel. That's where we receive and respond to information and the food we take in and our engagements with others and our emotional responses. And just being embodied is the most important first step to doing all the other yoga stuff, in my experience, in my perspective. And I think once we do that, then we can really get into the deep stuff and the deeper meditative states. And the body essentially is no longer an issue at all, right? We can easily just sit in long, many, many hours of meditation as I've done in my retreats and things like this. And maybe you've done that as well, just sitting in long extended periods of meditation. It's very difficult if your body's achy, if you're not present, right? If you've got some shoulder issue, back pain, we work all that out by being aware of the body, knowing the pairs of movements we can make, knowing how each asana in pose is a way to fine tune those movements and become more attuned to the present moment and more open and receptive to deeper meditative states. So I hope you find this helpful. I'm happy to share more if you have any questions about yoga anatomy, philosophy, history, any of the topics that I teach. Send me a message, jeremy at quietmind.yoga or on Instagram at jeremy.quietmind. 
And if you're interested in working with me in depth over 108 days, a 200-hour yoga teacher training, all online and all there laid out just like this one episode in detail with visuals as well and practices. There's a 60-day practice as part of the training and you'll be teaching each week of the training. The most important thing of a teacher training, you've got to be practicing teaching. So that's built into it. And of course, the 10 core competencies I teach in three phases, quietmind.yoga.ytt. I hope you can join us. And if you're interested in learning more little tips like this, check out the challenge that I'm doing next week, ramping up to the teacher training. It's totally free, all on Facebook Live and email. So quietmind.yoga slash challenge. And you can sign up for this free five-day challenge with just 20 minutes a day of practice with some bonus tips and videos along the way. So quietmind.yoga slash challenge if you want to participate in that. It starts next week on uh, Monday, the August 31st. It goes for uh, five days. All right, thanks for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week.